United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. I am Dean Linky. Another big show as we have five outstanding guests. A few weeks ago, as part of our Coaching Through COVID webinar series, we had a session called Return to Play, Precautions and Considerations. An excellent, excellent webinar that included two outstanding guests, Dr. Mallory Mann, who is the assistant professor in the Department of Kinesiology at Pacific Lutheran University, as well as Dr. Jennifer Sharon. She is a doctor of physical therapy and she is the owner of JC Sports Physical Therapy in New Jersey. Those two will kick off today's podcast. Dan Donegan, who had great success for the head coach at St. Louis, is returning to St. Louis to lead a youth club as its technical director. A great story, Dan Donegan, and then two more outstanding members of our 30 Under 30 class, Natasha Flores and Nick Barrett. We get started after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Managing your club or league shouldn't feel like a second job. With Team Snap, it doesn't have to. They help their customers save time and sanity on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to teamsnap.com slash NSCAA1. I am Dean Linky. This is the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. A lot of you have enjoyed the Coaching Through COVID webinar series that we've been running almost twice a week. Without question, one of our best was called Return to Play Precautions and Considerations. We were joined on that panel a few weeks ago by a practicing infectious disease specialist and epidemiologist and medical journalist, Celine Gounder. Also on that show was JC Sports PT LLC owner, Dr. Jennifer Sharon, who will follow our upcoming guest. Jerry Smith, the head coach at Santa Clara, was there, but also on was Dr. Mallory Mann, currently an assistant professor in the Department of Kinesiology at Pacific Lutheran University. She coached at the NCAA Division One and three levels, as well as in youth sport, and now works with the Positive Coaching Alliance to educate coaches on sports psychology and motor learning principles. Dr. Mann is also a certified mental performance consultant through the Association for Applied Sports Psychology. She was on that great webinar series, and now she joins me today, our lead-off on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Dr. Mann, great to be back with you again. Dean, great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, well, that session called Return to Play, Precautions and Consideration, we had too many questions. It was the one time where an hour just wasn't enough. Later that night, I saw Dr. Gounder on with Anderson Cooper, so I thought that was pretty neat. Just talk about what you remember about that webinar. It was pretty special, Dr. Mann. It was. It was a really wide range of expertise on the panel, and I think it was, or I hope, it was really useful in terms of hearing from different perspectives on all of the different considerations that coaches and leaders in sports might need to consider if and when it becomes time to return to play. All right, well, let's dig right into even some questions that we already asked you on the webinar series for what is even a bigger audience on our podcast series. So 
Soccer man, what might soccer players be feeling or experiencing as they start practicing with their clubs and teams again, and what should coaches expect from their athletes mentally? It's important to really remember that athletes aren't these sort of wind-up toys. We're not able to sort of pick them up, plop them down on the field, and then say, play your sport or perform well or play at your best, that they're always and already contending with all of the different social and cultural factors that are that are impacting them and that are impacting their performance. So right now we're in the middle of a pandemic expecting that they're going to somehow be able to turn off that noise and then just go play is sort of wishful thinking and not much more than that. So many of them may be contending with different anxieties. You know, Jordan Morris of the Seattle Sounders out where where I live has type 1 diabetes. It's been, you know, in the news and, and well documented. And so some of your athletes, like Jordan, may be experiencing or dealing with other illnesses or, or, or underlying diseases that, that might put them at increased risk. So they're, they're dealing with the anxiety or the threat to their own safety. Some of them are dealing with the threat to their own sort of coping resources. Do I have what it takes to sort of manage all of this? In general, Dean, we know that the number one factor leading to increases or rises in, in anxiety is uncertainty. And what could be more uncertain than whether or not they're even going to get to play? So many of them are in different stages of their careers and, and dealing with all sorts of factors that, that might be influencing their emotional states. So that's certainly something to consider. Then the question, you know, ultimately is going to be what do we do about it? And so maybe we'll get there in, in a little bit. But I think it's important to, to remember that they're dealing with anxiety and all sorts of emotions. And so being able to recognize that and then help them cope is going to be something for coaches and parents to consider. So as they consider that, what can coaches do to help their athletes cope or perform well in the midst of these changing and uncertain conditions? So we want to help athletes feel a sense of control. And I talked in the webinar about different ways and strategies for doing that, so I won't sort of repeat myself in that sense. But we want athletes to feel like they can control something, right? They can't control whether or not we're in a pandemic. They can't control whether or not they're going to get to play. They can't control how the game of soccer might change, how much we're going to press, how we're going to manage different balls, uh, soccer balls in practice, and when they're going to be uh, sort of disinfected and that sort of thing. They can't control all of those elements, but what they can control is how they respond. And so we want to teach them some of those coping mechanisms. As a coach, I want to really pay attention to how I'm framing and reframing each stressor or moment of uncertainty. It's always a challenge. It's always a challenge, right? So it's a challenge to come together. It's a challenge to build. It's a challenge to, to demonstrate that I have the goods, that I have what it takes. It's a challenge and it's an opportunity. And framing uncertain events in that way helps your athletes to develop some sense of control and to to sort of lessen their anxiety. Let me just give you one example. If we're not sure how long we're going to get to warm up or we're not sure because we're going to have to stagger when teams come in. We're going to have to stagger when they can take the field. We're only going to be able to have so many athletes in the locker room at once. Whatever those elements are, right, I can't control those. But what I can control is 
that we come up with a plan as a team, and my athletes who need more time to warm up, they take the field first. And my athletes who play best when they're running onto the field with less time to warm up, and they sort of that sort of helps them to get their adrenaline pumping and going, then I'm going to let them warm up later, right? So we're going to make a plan. Everybody's going to know the plan, and then we're going to talk about how this is a challenge, an opportunity for us to demonstrate how resilient we are, how well-planned we are, et cetera. So, Dr. Mann, what are some of the signs to look for to see if athletes have some real emotional issues because of what they've been going through because of this pandemic? Yeah, um, there's a series of, of signs or, or symptoms to pay attention to. One thing I will say is that it's rare that an athlete is going to tell you that they're experiencing anxiety, right? It, it's sort of against this unwritten athlete code that we're taught that we can handle anything. And so for them to come tell a coach or even tell their parents or guardians that, that they're not feeling themselves, it's less likely that they're going to do that, right? I'm, I'm watching a series from Michael Phelps the other day, um, and he's talking about how difficult or challenging it was for him to say that. So I like the Yogi Berra quote where he says, you can observe a lot by watching. Pay attention to your athletes and look for these signs and symptoms. Pay attention to their body language. Pay attention to their behavior. They're not probably going to tell you directly. So what are we looking for? We're looking for changes, changes in their ability to concentrate. So I'm trying to give them some sort of instruction, and I see them looking elsewhere when typically their eyes would be focused on me. That athlete gives me great eye contact, but now I see them looking away. I see them with sort of that tunnel vision consistently where they're unable to kind of scan the field and see who's open or see where the opponents are and to be able to sort of play their position or take on their responsibility. So I'm looking for changes in focus or ability to concentrate. I'm looking for changes in fatigue. Now, we know, and I'm sure other panelists will talk to this, but we know that their fitness levels may not be the same. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when we're responding to stress, when we're experiencing anxiety, our blood lactate levels are going to be higher. So I'm going to fatigue faster. I'm going to need longer periods of time to recover. Where I would just be able to go get water and come back out, that's going to take me another second or two to regain my, my breath. Having negative self-talk, so constantly focusing on the negative or thinking that I can't do this, saying things like, I can't believe we're not going to get to play this year, the season's never going to start, high school athletes or junior high athletes worried about not being able to play or be seen by college coaches. That sort of talk would be an indication that they're dealing with stress, that they're potentially experiencing anxiety. Pay attention to if and when we do return to to competitive matches, pay attention to how they're playing in the box, corners, how they're trapping the ball. Is there any hesitancy in their movement? Do they seem more nervous? Do they seem more stiff? Do they have more sort of jerky or robotic movements when they get closer to an opponent? Then that might tell you there's some anxiety there. It may not just be that it's a skill-related issue. It could be that it's anxiety or something else. So fatigue, self-talk, playing hesitant, being unable to focus or concentrate, and then the physical signs or symptoms are 
profuse sweating, feeling weak or tired, headaches, being sick more often than they typically would, or feeling stomach cramps or stomach aches, things like that. Those are all signs of anxiety as well, potential signs. Dr. Manuel, coaches can certainly address any safety or anxiety issues with their players at a practice or game. What advice would you offer to parents, especially parents to youth players? Yeah, I, I really love this question. The Aspen Institute recently found that 50% of parents are worried about their child returning to sports or they think that they may not allow their child to return to sports at the same level that they were competing at or playing at previously. They're reporting a whole range of reasons why, but often it's fear of illness, fear that they'll become sick or that their child will, will become sick. Not surprisingly, team sports, parents feel more uncomfortable with team sports than they do maybe with individual sports. So what do we do in those situations? How do we get parents to sort of work with their child or, or, or help their athletes kind of cope with anxiety. One thing I would say right away is coaches, you need your parents on board, right? They're the number one, especially for, for athletes younger than 12, they're the number one significant or most significant influencer. So helping them to make sure they're modeling appropriately, talking with them, educating them is important. But then think about RAP, RAP being W-R-A-P, like it's a RAP, right? When we're dealing with anxiety, it's a RAP, I've got this. So one is what are you feeling, right? Getting the, the parent to ask the athlete what they're feeling, what they're going through, and then to recognize Right? Have the child recognize and name the feeling, emotion, fear, worry. Is it nerves? What is it that they're actually feeling? So what are they feeling? And then can they recognize or name that exact feeling? Giving it a name is powerful. Now we can deal with it. Now we can cope with it. Three, affirm. We want them to affirm or acknowledge that the feeling exists, right? So what are you feeling? Recognize and name it and then affirm it, acknowledge that it's there. Now, here's the big key. Now we've got a plan. So I talked in the webinar about if-then scenarios. If this happens, then what will I do? If this happens, then what are we going to do as a family? If this happens, what will I do as an athlete? If we don't get to start when we want to. If I have to bring my soccer ball everywhere and I'm not able to play with people outside my house. If my coach thinks it's best for us to play in a travel tournament, then what will our family response be? So planning it out is going to help the athlete feel more in control of their responses. And the same thing with parents, right? If a child gets sick on the team, then what will our family response be? Having those plans in place helps to decrease or lower those feelings of anxiety and increase the antidote of anxiety, which is confidence, right? I want to feel confident and in control. Plans can help me to do that. So teach your, your parents how to create those if-then scenarios and give them the power back over what they can control. And finally, as we wrap up our time with Dr. Mann, because you're out there rubbing elbows with one of our Hall of Famers and Dr. Colleen Hacker. Any final words of inspiration for all of our listeners, Dr. Mann? <laughs> First, thank you for bringing her up. She's a great mentor of mine. She single-handedly is 
is responsible for my education and training and, and kind of getting me to where I am in life. So I'm forever, forever, forever connected with her, indebted to her, and, and just really proud of, of our connection, our relationship, and how much she's poured into me. So I'm thankful and grateful for bringing that up and for bringing her up and, and allowing me to sort of say that. I think it's important to give gratitude or be grateful for, for what people have done for you. We're always standing on the shoulders of, of others, and, and I'm certainly on hers in some ways. So what would I say to people at the very end? I'd say let's find creative ways to give athletes a sense of control and build their confidence. That way, during the pandemic, in some of the most uncertain conditions that we'll experience in our lifetimes, athletes are gaining really crucial skills to become resilient and mentally tough. I love it. Dr. Mallory Mann, thanks for a repeat performance this time on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Appreciate you spending some time with us. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. All right, and coming up, as promised, Dr. Jennifer Sharone. Stay with us. Being a coach means being a lot of things. Mentor, teacher, role model, motivator, leader, organizer. Of course, it's not easy to be all of those things. You need help, and who better to help you than an association of fellow coaches. Membership with United Soccer Coaches includes access to over $500 worth of e-learning courses, an improved online resource library with more than 1,000 activities, session plans and articles, $1 million worth of liability insurance, and a whole lot more. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org join and start your free 30-day introductory membership today. United Soccer Coaches, your association for all things coaching. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by TeamSnap. Great visit with Dr. Mallory Mann. She was on that wonderful webinar called Return to Play, Precautions and Considerations with the talented Dr. Jennifer Sharone, who is a doctor of physical therapy. She graduated from the University of Central Arkansas, and now she's the owner of JT Sports Physical Therapy in New Jersey. Dr. Sharone spent 10 years with USY at Olympic Development Program as a network professional for Regions 1 and 3. She also spent six years with U.S. Soccer Youth National Teams and the Women's National Team as a network professional, having experienced two U-20 Women's World Cups and three CONCACAF tournaments. We mentioned her playing ability at the University of Arkansas Little Rock. She also spent time playing in the USLW League. Dr. Sharon, thanks for a repeat performance this time on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me, Dean. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I will tell you this, and I did the same thing with Dr. Mann. That webinar was off the charts. An hour wasn't long enough. That night, Dr. Gounder was on Anderson Cooper, and I feel like that webinar is still living on. What is your takeaway from that webinar? Uh, I think that's fantastic. Um, it was just an amazing experience working with those people and all the information that everyone had together. I'm just I'm very pleased that it went so well, and I'm happy to contribute more. It's fantastic. Well, that's what we're going to do. We already spent some time with Dr. Mann. Now it's your turn. And obviously, as a doctor of physical therapy, that's going to be our focus here. So they're starting to give the green light, or maybe it's yellow, probably better said. How can teams at any level return to previous level of play and fitness in a safe and timely manner, in your opinion, Dr. Sharon? 
Everyone's kind of going in different stages right now. Every state is kind of opening up. Um, so just in general, the key point is that no matter what we've done to get ready for this point, no one's going to be in the same condition that they were in when they left. And so you could have given them the most fantastic workout program and still they're going to come back because it's not going to be the exact same things as the soccer demands. Soccer demands have extreme high velocity, cutting, and multiplying our movements and accelerations, decelerations. And so you want to really have it phased also where you can monitor your players and also kind of conditioning that monitoring of your players with how you return back with your practices or your practice levels. So those can both kind of coincide. So we gave three main points of how we can do this. And the ways of monitoring player fitness and readiness for the first few weeks when you actually return is to actually do what we call the rate of perceived exertion, their RPE, and also their readiness scores, which are like the Fit for 90 app, but that you can do it yourself. And we'll expand on these in a second, as well as adjusting your practice loads. So the rate of perceived exertion is a numerical self-report scale from 0 to 10, where 0 is no effort and 10 is the hardest effort experience to that player. You obtain this through simply asking the player to write how hard they believe the practice was for each practice. And I encourage you to obtain this information as privately as possible. Players tend to repeat what other teammates say or is overheard. So you don't really get the true value of what that player is going to say. Because they're friends and they're buddies and they don't want to look like an outlier or like, oh, I can't believe she thought that practice was only a 3 out of 10. I really thought that was a 6. But I'm going to say 3 so I don't look like I'm out of shape. So you really have to try and do it as privately as possible. The RPE will give you an idea of how hard that player thought that that exact session was and where the soccer fitness could be, as just mentioned, and gives you that idea of how that practice was for them. If that player rated it an 8 out of 10 and everyone else rated it a 3 out of 10, you're looking at that player as either having a lack of fitness for that demand and or you actually plan that practice where that person may have done too much. So you have to kind of look at both sides of it, how you plan the session, and maybe we talked about it being, hey, maybe she's that left outside back and you just ran that drill for the entire left side, and that person had to make about 10 or 20 high-speed max runs to complete that drill on that half. And so you're just also looking not just at that player, but also how you plan the session. Your RPEs really should coincide with your planned level of practice. A moderate to light practice, those RPEs should be sitting at about a 3 to 4, maybe even a 5 out of 10 on that RPE scale. So if the players are rating it on average at a higher level or even a lower level, then that plan session didn't hit its goals for its workload that day. And then it's hard to tell how to increase from there. So you really want to match those up. Another way to monitor your players is to consider the readiness scale, as we talked about. There's the fit for 90 or making your own. How do you make your own? An Excel spreadsheet with some key factors as well as even a Word document. You send it out, you text it to your players, you email it to your players, and ask them to send that back every day. So the day of practice and the day after practice are extremely important. And on those key components, you want how many hours they slept, so their sleep hours. You want their sleep quality, was it, I'm going to use a three-point scale just for an example. Zero is bad, one is fair, two is good. And the higher your readiness scale, the more ready they are to participate in that practice. The other key components for those are your muscle soreness and your stress level. You really want to know how these players are feeling. If they're really stressed, 
they're going to have decreased blood flow to their limbs, and it's going to actually put them at a higher level of incidence for injury because their body is just at a high-stress level, and that's what it does. It vasoconstricts, and so they're not going to be performing at their best. Muscle soreness, I would highly recommend that you also add a little bit of an area for them to write down what body part is sore and or maybe injured so that you can follow up with them. Okay. Also, you can see if there's a trend in the team, if everyone's complaining of their hamstring soreness, well, you may have done a lot of sprinting that day. So now let's adjust that practice to decrease the amount of sprints that they're doing to unload those hamstrings the next day. If it's just one player, then you can address that one player. And then also if they've marked it down as an injury, then you can go ahead and follow up with them and see if they need to be seen by a healthcare professional. And then we get to the big question of how do we do the practice load? So right now, everyone's going to go back in and everyone's going to be super excited to kind of get going. And everyone's going to feel the pressure of trying to get back to where they were. And coaches have this really intense schedule of games and upcoming tournaments that they really want to gear up for. So everyone's just overly excited and has a lot of pressure to succeed. The biggest part is just pulling back a little bit and starting off really light for them so that they can actually adjust their bodies and start conditioning themselves again for soccer-specific demands. And to do this, we recommend light to moderate practices where you have small to medium-sided drills and games with limited minutes and increased rest breaks. We use the ratio of about a three-to-one work-to-rest ratio. We want prolonged warm-ups and cool-downs and focusing on more technical skill and ball mastery, passing patterns without opponents, functional walkers, and sub-maximal fitness, which means under 80% max heart rate. And you can tie that into their RPE as well. So if 10 is 100% their max heart rate or their max effort, you want to sit below an 8. So you can kind of match their RPE to that if you don't have GPS and heart rate data. Things you want to avoid are those high repetitions of shooting and long balls, high-intensity, long-duration drills, and avoiding max effort sprints. The goal would be to gradually increase over two to six weeks, depending how long you've been off. The longer you were off, the more gradual your increase should be. And using the general rule of thumb would be to increase gradually by no more than 10% in any of these areas, which could be your work-to-rest ratio, the field size, and repetitions, etc. Now, Dr. Sharon, because our coaches are truly the conduit to the parents, particularly talking about youth players, from where you sit as a doctor of physical therapy, what message can you give through the coaches to give to the parents right now? The best thing would be just the education of everything, of how this can go, because the parents could be overexcited too. And the the goal would be to educate them on what a gradual increase is and why you're going slow and that it's in the best interest of them for their safety. So in general, I think that would be like the biggest thing was that they're taking their child's safety into consideration and it's not about the wins right now. And we're going to do this best phase gradual progression as possible. And then finally, one of the things that definitely hit home was your attention to detail on young girls and young boys that have had a long layoff that might be going through body changes and puberty and things like that. What's your message there? These are the kids that call they're going through their growth and maturation phase. The neuromuscular system is a very tricky thing. Your kid could be growing at a different rate than they can handle at this point. The biggest part for that is that neuromuscular education, really working on 
what I would recommend highly is the key components of the FIFA 11 plus. I can't get through that a little anymore. Like this is the main key for me is really taking that time to, to look at the 11, the FIFA 11 plus and incorporating all of these into your, your practice regimen and also providing that to the parents because they can go through some of those balance and coordination and strength exercises with their kids during the week as well. It doesn't necessarily have to be at practice. And these are those kids, like we said before, in the age groups of about 10 to 12 or 13 for girls and about 12 to 15 for boys. And so if you really know that your child's gone through that phase or that you're there's a lot of players that you're coaching going through that phase. Really incorporate that FIFA 11 plus, and that would be fantastic to get them back to that neuromuscular strength. Finally, as we close out our time with you, if you can log what you learned from Dr. Gallander and Dr. Mann and then what you've shared and then maybe even Dr. Sherum, what you're hearing from all the talking heads out there, as we gradually work our way back out onto the field, what is your biggest concern or biggest worry and then what is your biggest message? My biggest worry is everyone going too hard too fast. And my biggest message would be to go out, enjoy how slow and how fun it can be, and just actually have fun again. Just really enjoy what you're doing. I think everybody knows that um, safety is the number one priority, but also fun. I think that's also a major priority. Dr. Jennifer Cerrone, the doctor of physical therapy and owner of JC Sports Physical Therapy in New Jersey with a ton of work with several U.S. soccer youth national teams, including the full women's national team. Dr. Cerrone, thanks for coming on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Thank you so much, Team. All right, speaking of New Jersey, Dan Donegan, the former Rutgers coach, is leaving New Jersey and headed to St. Louis. Dan Donegan, we return. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. As promised, Dan Donegan joins me now. The headline reads, Dan Donegan named to new post at Sporting St. Louis. Sporting St. Louis, the nonprofit soccer club based at Sport Court International in Maryland Heights, has hired Dan Donegan, former head coach for the St. Louis University Men's Soccer Billikens, to the newly created position of technical director overseeing player and coaching development programs. Donegan served as a Billiton's head coach from 2001 to 2010, winning numerous awards and guiding the team to several conference championships and lofty national rankings. In more recent years, he served as head coach for men's soccer at Rutgers and technical director at PDA Hibernians in New Jersey. Big news during a crazy time in our country and in our world. Dan Donegan, thanks for being on the program. Dean, it's great to hear your voice again. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, it's, uh, it's been a crazy time, especially during this, this pandemic. But my wife and I are very excited, along with our two young boys, to be heading back out to St. Louis. Well, I like your story because obviously, as you know, Dan, my longtime voice of the Big Ten Network for men's soccer, really enjoyed having you in the Big Ten. Wasn't happy that you weren't kept on at Rutgers. You and I kept in touch. And you know what? The model, good things happen to good people. 
I think proved true in this case because you could have been dejected, Dan. You weren't. Your face, your kids were behind you. Now this is a big-time post in a, in a great part of the country. Yeah, look, look, absolutely. Everything you just said is spot on. You know, we really feel honored and privileged to have this opportunity, you know, again, especially during what, what's going on in our world right now with the pandemic. Um, but quite honestly, PDA came to my wife and I about four years ago and gave us an opportunity while I was still at Rutgers to kind of upstart uh, an affiliation of PDA, Players Development Academy in New Jersey, which is, as, as most people know, is one of the top boys clubs in the entire country. And we've grown it from about six teams to what is now 20 teams. And, you know, we feel very strongly that the stability and the viability of the club moving forward is, is going to be in great hands and it's in great shape. And obviously, you know, this opportunity was because of our involvement in the youth games, right, not just simply because of maybe my experiences at St. Louis University and Rutgers University on the college level. Um, but my wife and I both have been offered this opportunity. We're kind of going, you know, as a tandem back out to St. Louis where my wife is from and where I had a lot of success as a, as a player um, playing indoors with the St. Louis Storm, the St. Louis Steamers, and the St. Louis Ambush. And then I was coaching for 13 years at St. Louis University as an assistant for Bob Warming for four years, and then as the head coach in the last nine years before we moved out to New Jersey. So we really feel honored and privileged. We're excited about the opportunity. It's certainly a, a large job that, we, that is facing us right now. Um, we're going from basically working with 20 teams at PDA to working with close to, I think, maybe 90 to 100 teams at Sporting St. Louis. So you know, we're looking forward to it. We're, we're excited about it, and we can't wait to get out there. Sporting St. Louis, one of the largest soccer clubs in the St. Louis area, supports programs for young people, male and female, from ages 4 to 19, helping them develop both on and off the field. And you mentioned your wife, Corey. She is well known to the St. Louis soccer community because, in part, she had a big role in overseeing a merger of three large youth soccer clubs in the St. Louis area back in 2007. Yeah, right before we, we left St. Louis to uh, take the opportunity in New Jersey, um, Corey was part of a, a leadership team that kind of helped merge the three of the top clubs in the St. Louis area, which was Scott Gallagher, Bush Soccer Club, and Metro United from across the river. So three very prominent clubs kind of joined forces to create what now is St. Louis Scott Gallagher. Um, so she has uh, a pretty broad base of knowledge within the youth game and and just the administrative role, support role of all the things that really kind of make a club viable. So to be honest with you, and I'm not embarrassed to say it, but in a lot of ways she's more important to the, the club scene than, than myself. You know, obviously I can do the things on the field, but she does all the behind-the-scenes stuff that are very, very important to the viability of a club and, and the stability and the growth of a club. So, you know, she, I'm proud of what she's done, and, and I'm excited to be able to have a relationship with my wife to where we can – we can also work together to a certain degree. Um, it's not it's not easy for for a married couple to be able to do that. But uh, you know, certainly there's there's some difficult times. You know, when you're trying to make business decisions on things. But at the same time, um, she's done an amazing job, and and she's very very important to to our future and our success as as a club. Well, it's clear that Jeff Stevens also saw that. Quoting from him, he says, "We are thrilled to be able to bring a man of Dan's caliber back to St. Louis to oversee our development program." Said Jeff Stevens. President and Executive Director of Sporting St. Louis. As both a player and a coach, Dan has consistently excelled at the highest level. We are truly fortunate 
to have him. Hearing those words from Jeff Stevens, how does that make you feel, Dan? Look, it, it makes me feel great, right? I mean, it's nice for people to put a value on you and to want you uh, for whatever reason it, it may be. And, and I'm just kind of floored by the opportunity again, and I'll, I'll refer back to it, like especially now where people are losing jobs left and right. You know, but to be offered an opportunity to come back out to a city that we, you know, has been so good to us and to be able to give something back to them, um, it, it's awesome. I, I have tremendous relationships out there in St. Louis. You know, we, we, I'm sure we will and we have been, um, received really, really well already. I've gotten text messages, phone calls, emails from a, from a bunch of people that I've, I've, I've had relationships with going all the way back to, you know, my early years when I got drafted right out of college to St. Louis. Long relationships, a lot of, a lot of loyalty and trust factors involved there. And, and as you know, in the soccer world, that those can be difficult to come by sometimes. But, you know, Jeff Stevens, Jeff Fox, who's the owner, um, certainly showed a, you know, and put a lot of a lot of value on myself and my wife, and and we're honored by that. We're floored by it. It means the world to us, and we're just we just want to go out there and do the best job we possibly can for for not just Sporting St. Louis, but for the city of St. Louis as well. You know, building a building a right culture in youth soccer is very important, and uh, you know we don't we don't want to be known as going and trying to poach players and poach teams things like that. We just want to develop players, and if people can see who we are and what we're all about, I, I think that'll speak more than, you know, going out and trying to do other things to, to make your club better. So that, that's that's kind of my philosophy. It's going to be our vision going out there, and, and we're, we're thrilled, and we can't wait. Especially in this time where we need inspiration. Make no mistake, Dan Donegan, you have been a part of the highest of highs, amazing player at UConn, great success as a player, even appearing for the U.S. national team, great success outdoor and indoor, great success as a coach. Admittedly, you were down after – not being retained at Rutgers. Talk about that time and how now as you look back on it, that's so far in your rear view mirror. Yeah, it's, uh, look, yeah, I, I always told my players, when you look back, you don't want to have any regrets. And I still don't have any regrets uh, regarding, you know, where I went to college, where I played professionally, where I coached at. Uh, and that includes, you know, my last stint at Rutgers. Nobody ever wants to you don't go around bragging that you, you were not retained or you were let go. But, you know, at the same time, I learned a lot through that process. Um, you know, it, it just didn't work. It, it wasn't a good fit at the end. And, uh, you know, for, for them, they had to make a decision to move in a different direction. And, and, and I was okay with that. And fortunately, you know, like you mentioned, I do have enough of a background and experience in, in, in my world um, from my playing days and my coaching days that, you know, other opportunities will come if you just keep your head down. You know, you, you do the right things for the right reasons, that things will come your way. And, you know, like you said, good things come to good people. We'd like to feel that that's kind of exactly what happened here in this scenario. And, uh, you know, we feel, again, lucky, fortunate, privileged. Um, but, again, it's just, you know, good things come to good people. And, and I'm happy for my wife and my kids and my family. And now I just want to get back to the city that's given me so much it, with St. Louis. So it's going to be fun. It's just another chapter in our lives. You know, I'm still young enough, I think, to, to be able to make a move and, and to take on a job like this. Um, so I figure i got maybe 10 or 15 years left, <laughs> I hope. Um, but we're just going to go out there and, and uh, do the best we can for, for the people that have been good to us. Finally, as we close it out, it was so much fun during your playing days to see that white hair out there scoring goals. We all know there's a couple other white-haired little Donigans that are pretty good soccer players. How excited are they about the move? <laughs> they, they, you know, they have good days and bad days, to be honest, Steve. I got my, my oldest is 11, and I think the toughest thing for him is, is leaving his teammates here and his friends. 
Um, but, you know, he's going from fifth grade to sixth grade, so he was going to be going into a school with new friends and new kids anyway. Um, but he was born in St. Louis. You know, we brought him back to Jersey when he was one years old, and he's now 11. So, you know, he's excited, you know, but he has his moments where he's going to miss his kids and miss his buddies and his teammates. And then the little one, you know, he was ready to go yesterday. You know, he don't care. He's kind of a wild one, to be honest. Um, but they both are soccer junkies. They both love their, you know, their Jersey roots, so to speak. Um, but they also know that they got a lot of ties um, to St. Louis as well. So, we're, we're in my opinion, seeing we're going from one soccer hotbed to another. You know, and, and not a lot of people can say that or do that. So we, again, very fortunate, very lucky, and uh, I'll never lose my Jersey roots. You know, um, PDA and the people here have been very, very good to me, and I'm forever grateful and indebted. Um, but like, like you said, you know, new things come at different times, and right now, um, you know, we, we were really nervous about what was going to happen and what the direction of youth soccer is and college soccer even. Um, but it looks like hopefully we'll get back on these fields sooner than later and be able to resume our our normalcy again, and have soccer back in our lives full full tilt. Dan Donegan, the new technical director to Sporting St. Louis. He's headed back to St. Louis. Dan Donegan, great story. Thanks for being on, Dan. Dean, thank you so much, and you know feelings are mutual. You you've been great to me my whole career as a player, and, and now as a coach and a youth so- uh, technical director. Um, you do a phenomenal job. Hats off to you. I hope we continue to stay in touch, which I know we will. And uh, I look forward to seeing you on the road somewhere soon. Indeed we will. Coming up next, two more members of our current 30 Under 30 class. Team Snap's awesome. I have five teams on Team Snap. There are no questions asked by the players, the parents. Very easy to use. Very, very, very easy. Simple to use. Everyone, you know, everything's right there. Messages, availability, boom, boom, boom. I've looked at other at other things and I think Team Snap sets the bar for this type of team management software. It's the best that I found. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Another big time show today and it's that part of the show where we focus on the 30 under 30 members. We try to interview one woman and one man that are part of this great group of 30, obviously 15 women, 15 men that were recognized at the last convention in Baltimore. We saw them there. Now we get to hear from them, and that includes Natasha Flores, who is currently an assistant women's coach at Georgia Military College, which is located in what city in Georgia, Natasha? Say it for me. Milledgeville, Georgia. Yeah, good old Milledgeville, Georgia. So by way of San Antonio through Indiana at St. Mary's College, now you find yourself in Georgia. First off, Natasha, congratulations on being part of the 30 Under 30 crew. Thank you so much. Yeah, when you learned that uh, you made it, tell us about that call or email or whatever and tell us how you felt. Maybe even tell us who the first person you called after you heard the news. When I got the email, I was actually kind of scared to open it because I didn't know. Um, I knew it was going to be my last shot to get in. So um, I opened it and I read it and I was just like complete shock. I actually told one of my coworkers first because she was there when I opened it and we were kind of talking. So, um, but after that, my the first person I told was my dad. Well, that's awesome. Okay, so you grew up, I think, in Texas, San Antonio. I mean, make sure that I got that right. Tell us your story. I want to know your journey and tell us your story. As far as soccer goes, my story like started at a young age. My aunt's boyfriend at the time introduced me to soccer. 
And I just kind of played around with him, learned about the game, watched soccer with him, played FIFA. That was one of his big things. And then finally, there wasn't a lot of young teams to play with, especially for women or for girls at the time. So they finally created a team that I could play on and try out for. I tried out for it and I made it. And that was when I was about nine or ten years old. So looking at the years that kids start playing now that's kind of old um you see a lot of kids starting to play at four or five years old and not really getting into competitive soccer at nine but that's when I was able to get into it and I kind of just took off with it my middle school didn't even have a girls team we had to play co-ed so I played there I decided not to play in soccer in high school but I still played kind of club leagues and when I went to college that's really kind of where I fell in love with it a little bit more to the sense that I wanted to coach because I played rec leagues, I played intramurals in college, and I just really started wanting to coach the the game and let everyone kind of feel the love that I had for soccer. How cool is that? I love that story. So you went to St. Mary's not on a soccer scholarship or to play soccer, but you played intramural, and that's where you truly found the inspiration to want to be a coach, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of where I got to play at every spot. Um, when growing up, I was only a defender or a goalkeeper. Uh didn't really get to play a lot, mainly because playing co-ed, a lot of times all they play are the guys. There's very few girls, so they play you because they have to play you, and they sub you in and out. So it wasn't a lot of um, opportunity for me. And then when I got to play in the rules, one, St. Mary's is an all-girls school, so it was all girls in the mules and just being able to play with them, but then getting more competitive and playing co-ed in the rec leagues and the adult rec leagues and then kind of going on from there. I got to play forward, play mid, play all of that and learn everything else about it. I have a lot of friends in Texas, and one of the things I've found is most of them stay in Texas for whatever reason. What was your drive to head to the Midwest, head to the great state of Indiana? Uh, well, I actually had an opportunity to watch a Notre Dame football game when I was in the eighth grade, and we got to go on campus and just kind of walk around, and I absolutely fell in love with it. I remember telling my parents that that's where I wanted to go to school, and everything my parents could do, they tried to do to keep me in Texas, um, but I had my heart set on Notre Dame, and um, just wanting to be up in that area, and my brother actually bet me when I was a junior in high school um, that I wouldn't go because I was the baby of the family. And I was like, all right, <laughs> that's it. I'm going now. So you're kind of like the Rudy, a little bit of Rudy story here, right? Because didn't, didn't uh, Rudy was, I don't know if St. Mary's was, was not girls at the time, but you know Rudy, the football player, right? That, uh, oh, yeah. Watched yeah, that movie a bunch of times. <laughs> so that was probably a little bit of inspiration then for sure. Definitely. And I actually, I ended up um, getting to fulfill my dream. I did cross the stage at Notre Dame. I, I have my master's from there. So it's all come full circle. Yeah, good for you. So you got your bachelor's in what and your master's in what, Natasha? Um, I have my bachelor's in mathematics. And then I have two masters. I have a master's in engineering entrepreneurship. And I have a master's in business administration. Yeah, sounds like everything you need to be a coach, Natasha. I'm kidding right. a little bit here. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So when did that bell come on where it said, uh, you know what, I know I've got these two masters and I know I've got this high tooting undergrad as well. When did you say, you know what, I don't care, this is where my real love is? Um, not too long after I earned my master's, I got a teaching job um, in Goshen, Indiana at their middle school and their high school. I was teaching um, just math and science at both and um, they needed an assistant coach at the middle school. And so I kind of got in there, was helping out with the high school team, um, but my main, like, I guess stipend was from the middle school. And I just, like, fell in love with being able to interact with the kids um, outside of the classroom and as well as inside the classroom. Um, but I knew that middle school wasn't quite where I wanted to be as far as, like, the competitiveness. So um, I was there for about a year, and then a high school head coach position opened up in Bremen, which was about 45 minutes away. So I said, let's try it. I know I only have one year of, like – organized at a school um, coaching, but I tried it, and um, the head coach from the high school at Goshen gave me a really good recommendation because I had been helping with him, so um, I got the head coach position. I was there for four years, and I said, all right, cool. Um, Took that team to places that I never thought I would be able to take that team, and then um, decided I wanted to make the leap for college. All right. Now, before we get to that leap for college, I think I read you also coach swimming, which can't be the easiest thing to do. Did I read that right? Yes. <laughs> what was that like? It was really interesting. Um, swimming was actually um, one of my sports before soccer, so um, I was a competitive swimmer for um, our city league. Uh, swimming league and um, backstroke was my thing and I was they needed help so I was like okay I can use the extra money um, so I helped coach the swim team at high school uh, Bremen High School for three years and it's definitely a different thing to coach because you can't just tell someone oh you know you can't move their body to a specific position on the field or anything like that um, you also you can't really hear when you're in the water, so it's all hand motions, trying to figure out how to help them out and stuff like that. It's, it's definitely a different challenge. <laughs> okay, so you've created a, a pretty good picture of your journey, and you said that you now wanted to coach at college. So how did you go about uh, getting the word out that you wanted to do that, and then how did you end up at Georgia Military College? I applied so many different places. I actually like had to create a spreadsheet um, of where I applied and just kind of when I applied and then sending follow-up emails is kind of keeping track so I didn't bog someone down with 30 follow-up emails like, mm -hmm. hey, I haven't heard from you. Um, so I applied to probably about 30 different colleges just trying to get in. Um, my ideal situation was actually just to become a volunteer coach and kind of go from there and work my way up in the program um, at while coaching other places. But um, for some reason, Georgia Military College decided that they wanted to, to take their leap on me. Um, they called me for an interview. I did that. Um, she had me send practice plans of what our samples I would do with them. So I made those up and sent those and had another interview and just kind of did the whole process. And I was like, all right, well, 
they were like, well, would you move? I was like, definitely. <laughs> what was it about the connection between you and Courtney Morgan that worked? In my initial interview, uh, she told me a little bit about her coaching style and the way she ran her team. And I absolutely loved it because it's how I run my team. Um, she mentioned that when um, they have two teams, so they have a reserve team and a varsity team, but they don't, just because you're named varsity roster doesn't mean you're going to be there the whole time during the season. Um, if you don't put the work in, you're not going to stay there. Um, so basically you got to work for your spot, work for your minutes. And I use that philosophy with my high schoolers all the time. So um, I absolutely love that. It's all about a family-run um, team, but, you know, work for what you want, basically. And now that Courtney has a young son, has that changed the dynamic to maybe even more work for you? Probably not, because a lot of the things that she's talked to me about what I'm going to do is, you know, traveling out to do recruiting, which is what I expected, Um and kind of doing all of that, I'm definitely a very, like, technology computer person. So um, she does have me kind of updating some things. But in all honesty, it would have been something I probably would have volunteered for anyway because I like having all of those things really organized, spreadsheets and everything like that. All right. Let's go back to January in Baltimore when – we were able to meet the 30 under 30. They had the big Friday night banquet as well. You are able to take in courses and sessions. And what do you remember most about your time in Baltimore? Meeting Jill Ellis mm-hmm. and um, just kind of getting to chat with her a little bit. And then um, also talking to Becky Burley. She actually took time out to talk to me a little bit and give me advice about making the transition from high school to college um, as far as coaching goes. So, you know, she, she kind of helped push me to, to put in a whole bunch of applications everywhere. And who is your mentor as part of the 30 Under 30 program? Vince Gansenberg. Yep, know Vince well. Talked to him a lot on the podcast. Mm-hmm. He is uh, very detailed, right? That should work well for you. Yeah, it does. And, and the fact that he's like the education-based side, I think it really ties into coming from – teaching and doing all of that, so, um, and kind of helping with that, so. All right, Natasha, circling all the way back to the fact that you're from Texas, I don't know how many brothers and sisters you had, but I get the sense it might be a big family. How many uh, brothers and sisters do you have back in Texas? Three brothers. I'm the only girl. All right. And was that uh, part of the reason why you're a good athlete as well, having three brothers? Definitely. Uh, one of my, the brother that's directly older than me, um, he always liked to help me. I say help, but it really wasn't. Um, get better and a little bit tougher. So he'd always be like, let's go play basketball. But really that meant I just get run over um, and trade, take long shots. So um, everything he did, I was pretty much doing except for soccer and swimming. Um, those are the two that I did that he didn't do. Now, Natasha Flores, you have a family that is uh, deeply concerned about your health and well-being during this pandemic that we're all dealing with? Oh, of course, and I'm definitely always checking in with them every week, uh, making sure they're doing okay. My brother has a one-year-old son, and uh, my dad is, you know, getting up there in age, so I'm always calling them and checking in on them. 
right. Finally, with that and knowing that uh, I'm sure you've had constant communication with the young women that are on this team working in conjunction with Coach Morgan, what are some words of inspiration you offer them that you can share with our audience here on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap? Because this is indeed unprecedented times. Uh, I would say definitely be smart in your choices. I know a lot of people want to go out and, you know, go to the store or just go out to eat now that things are starting to open back up. But um, there's no rush to it. There's a lot of things you can do at home. You can learn things. You can, um, you know, learn new skills, whatever it is, get out, run, do some things inside the house and, as well as you may be tired of looking at your four walls or whatever, it's it's going to be over soon, and we'll all be back to where we want to be. So don't jump the gun. Just stay calm, cool, and collected. All right, Alana, I have one more question because I also broadcast quite a bit of swimming. In fact, I've done swimming with Rowdy Gaines and with Elizabeth Heisel, some pretty famous Olympians. Yeah. What was uh, your event in swimming? I was a backstroker. Uh, yeah, those are two of my favorite sports, soccer and swimming, so I, I totally dig that you did both. I really like your energy, Natasha. I wish you all the best at Georgia Military College, and I get the pretty good idea that uh, you're going to be a head coach somewhere big down the road. I'm pretty certain of it, Natasha. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much. Okay, we end the show with Nick Barron, another 30 under 30 superstar. Being a coach means being a lot of things. Mentor, teacher, role model, motivator, leader, organizer. Of course, it's not easy to be all of those things. You need help, and who better to help you than an association of fellow coaches. Membership with United Soccer Coaches includes access to over $500 worth of e-learning courses, an improved online resource library with more than 1,000 activities, session plans and articles, $1 million worth of liability insurance, and a whole lot more. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org join and start your free 30-day introductory membership today. United Soccer Coaches, your association for all things coaching. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Dean Linky with you. Love spending time with members of our 30 under 30 class. Reminding you that 15 women, 15 men under the age of 30 doing big time things around the love and passion of the game of soccer. No different with our next guest, Nick Barron, who grew up just outside of St. Louis. Went to college in Maine. I love that state. Can't wait to hear about his time at Bates at Maine. Now he's back near his hometown, Principia College, D3, just like Bates, where he is the assistant men's soccer coach, and he coaches goalkeeping for the men's and women's teams at Principia. Nick Barron in the house. Nick, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Dean. Happy to be here. Great to be with you, Nick. First of all, what was your inspiration to want to even apply for the 30 under 30 program, Nick. You know, I've got to say it was a, it was kind of a last minute decision. I had been thinking about it for a while. I had gotten those emails and then, uh, kind of as the application was, was coming up to the deadline, I, I decided I needed to get it in just, just to put my name in the hat for the opportunity. Didn't really expect to get much out of it, but you know, I heard back pretty quickly and got accepted for the opportunity. And so it's been really, uh, an incredible blessing to be a part of 30 under 30 program. All right, we're going to get to what you like most and uh, what you've enjoyed about it. But before that, I want to get to know you 
a little bit better. So you grew up in St. Louis. Tell me about your family, what your mom and dad did. Do you have brothers and sisters? What's going on? Sure. Yeah, so we got a pretty big family. As far as the soccer background, my dad played for Port Vale in England, was a goalkeeper back in the 70s. Also played for the Cleveland Cobras over here in the States. Had a short professional career, semi-professional career back in the 70s. Mom was a college professor, and then I've got four siblings, younger brother and younger sister, and an older brother and older sister, kind of all over the U.S. right now. All right, five barons. Okay, so you're rolling along. What's your youth club that uh, you are most closely associated with as far as soccer? Yeah, I actually grew up playing for Metro United over in Illinois, which now is merged with St. Louis Scott Gallagher. So I played for really kind of all those clubs in, that are now combined into St. Louis Scott Gallagher. I played for Metro United, played for Bush Soccer Club back when that was around here, and then St. Louis Scott Gallagher for a short time. So Maine is a long ways away from the St. Louis area. Man, is that a cool state. <laughs> what sure made is. you pick Bates to not only play soccer, but i got to remind people, this young man, Nick Barron, was a standout middle distance runner at Bates for their indoor and outdoor track team. In fact, part of Bates' third-place All-American distance medley relay team at the 2012 NCAA Division Three indoor track and field championships, so you could run as well. What made you decide to go to school in Maine? I had a couple of friends that I grew up playing soccer with that moved up to Maine when they were high school age, younger high school age. So as I started looking around, I wanted to get out of St. Louis a little bit. I had grown up there and was wanting a different experience. So I had a close family friend that was the assistant men's coach at Bates at the time. Went up, checked out Bates, Williams, Middlebury, Bowdoin, was really interested in NESCAC schools, and just had felt a connection with Bates. Loved the coach, loved the soccer and track coaches, the vibe that I got from everyone that I talked with. It wasn't just the look that, that I got as a visit. I think that the experience that I had there was really incredible, and, and just the people that I got to know and the coaches I got to work with, teammates, students, you know, everyone, everyone there really takes the experience seriously, but also, you know, is passionate about what they're doing. So I loved, I loved being there. The athletic part meant track and soccer. The student part of student-athlete, what was your major? Yeah, I was an English major. Okay, very good. And when yeah. did you know with this English major that Nick Barron wanted to be a coach? Maybe part of me always knew that. I don't know. At, right after graduating, I went and worked with grassroots soccer in South Africa. So it wasn't exactly a coaching position, but we did work with a lot of kids in schools, a lot of after-school programs, organizing tournaments in communities. And then after that opportunity, I came back and just knew that I needed to land in coaching somehow. So started coaching at uh, the high school that I went to, and that kind of led to other opportunities. So when I hear somebody tell me that they're involved with the grassroots soccer program and they're heading over to South Africa to do things, that tells me that uh, you're very well-grounded. You're probably a Christian. You want to make a difference. Are all those statements correct? And, and what was your driving force to want to do that? Yeah, I, I think all those uh, those statements are correct. And I think the driving force was feeling like I wanted to do something with with what I had learned in college that made an impact on a community in a way that I felt that was unique and, and like my being there was, was going to be valuable and obviously 
incorporated the game of soccer, so the fact that it had soccer in the title was huge. And actually, in terms of programming, soccer was the hook to get kids involved. Then the programs were had had some depth and meaning, and I think really helped kids grow in, in a certain way. I also got involved in a lot of soccer teams in the area. Played probably third or fourth tier. Uh, in South Africa, I don't know what, what division it really was. It was a local level, good team that I played with, and really fun experience. So then do me a favor, Nick, fill in the rest of the story. So you come back from this grassroots program. Where did you go, and what have you been doing, and what were the steps to get to where you are now at Principia? The long story, but I'll, I'll try to uh, hit the key points. Came back from grassroots soccer. I went back to the St. Louis area, coached at Principia High School, which is uh, on a separate campus from the college. I coached there for the fall season, and then in the winter, an opportunity opened up at Colorado Rush in Denver. Working with their international program, they had a residential, I think still have a residential facility for international players to come and train and and uh, see the Colorado Rush Development Academy, and, and some players came in from other countries to play for the Development Academy. Some were just at a development level where they just wanted to be there and train and live soccer and go to school and got to manage that program for a year, which was really incredible. Got to work with some some outstanding coaches. I think some of some of the best professional development and and coach development that that I have in in my experience. So Eric Boucher was the coach that I that I got to uh, work with. He's I think at the Rapids now, but worked with youth national team. Tim Schultz, who uh, coached Lindsey Horan and some other uh, coached at the, the youth women's national team for a few years. So really just learned a ton from the coaches there. I felt like I was really at the bottom of the totem pole, but great learning experience. So I was out there for a year and then uh, came back to St. Louis for a little while, moved out to Boston, worked in a law firm for a couple of years, thought about going to law school, decided that wasn't the path for me. And that brought me back to uh, to St. Louis. So while I was out in Boston, I got married to uh, to my wife, who's also a Bobcat Bates grad, soccer player. So I was out there for a couple of years, and, and we decided that, or maybe I convinced her that, that it was time to move to St. Louis uh, and uh, pursue this opportunity here. So we've been here for a couple of years now, and, and we're enjoying it. Okay. So speaking of enjoying things, as you mentioned early on, one of my first questions about applying what do you remember about hearing that you got it, and then what do you remember about your time in Baltimore when we recognized all 30 of you? Yeah, I, I was really obviously very excited when I, when I found out that I was accepted in the 30 under 30 program. I told my head coach, told my athletic director, and started to plan for you know what, what this was going to look like and, and what kind of opportunities I could get out of this and the different people that I could connect with, with through it. You know, obviously making plans to go to the, the convention was huge. I'm not sure that would have fit into our, uh, to our budget this year. So I think it was a really unique opportunity to, to get to be there and, and also to, to participate in the advanced level courses too. I haven't taken my advanced national yet, but I'm, I'm hoping as soon as all this COVID-19 stuff clears up, then I'll be able to get back out there and, and do that. But as far as being at the convention, you know, it was just an experience that really fired me up, I think, for coaching, really really instilled sense of, of what I wanted to be doing, what was important to me, kind of celebrated a lot of, of the great things in the game, brought up a lot of really important questions about, you know, my coaching style and what we're doing in our program. It was amazing to be at the, the banquet and to be to be recognized, I think, alongside some of the incredible people that have been with United Soccer Coaches for 
their entire lives just doing incredible things with the game. To hear their stories and then for us to be brought up on the stage, I didn't really feel worthy for it. But I loved it. Yeah, it was, it was very cool. I like you sharing your path and your journey along the way. I know it's sometimes hard, and I think it's even harder now, Nick, because of this pandemic that we're dealing with to totally see through the woods. But do you envision right. where you want to be in 10 years from now, Nick, by any chance? I would love to be... In the college game, I actually do a, a lot of my work right now. My full-time work is committed to athletic administration. So with Principia College, I, I manage all of our facilities and, and events. And I really enjoy that work because there's a lot of student athletes out there that are putting in the same type of work that, that our soccer players are. So it's, it's a great opportunity to see basketball teams and volleyball teams and tennis teams and and see all these different things that are going on in a college athletic department and support the work that they're doing. In 10 years, if I were going to pick up my job, I'd love to be an athletic director and a soccer coach, but that's becoming harder and harder to do, I think. So I'd love to be involved in athletic administration and involved in coaching. So whatever way that, that comes about, uh, that, that's where I hope to see myself. Well, obviously, Nick, either one of those roles involve leadership. Right now, we need strong leaders more than ever. We need leaders that inspire us. During this tough time, young or old, whether it's the players or whether it's the people that you're working with in your event role with the university that you're at, what might be some words you can leave us with to keep people on the up and up, you know, keep people inspired? Yeah, I think the first one that comes to mind is humility. I think that leaders that can show humility in a really authentic way that, you know, as far as coaches that, that we can learn from our players, that we can learn from each season, and that each day we can learn a little bit. I think that that's really important for leaders to, to understand that that's one of the primary things we're doing is always learning. And in this time, too, I mean, while we're talking about it, I mean, we have so much time just taking opportunities to read, to learn, to watch old games, to learn things that otherwise we might not have if we didn't have this time. So humility, I think, is huge. And then I think that I'm coming back to uh, Arsene Wenger's term. I think tenacity is huge. I mean, that's kind of the one thing that Arsene Wenger said was that you can have all these other things, but tenacity is the one that that we have to uh, kind of know. And I think that, that having that combined with humility creates, you know, leaders that are really clear about what their purpose is, about learning how to do things the right way, about respecting the people that they work with from the top of the totem pole to the bottom of the totem pole, understanding everything that goes into the game that we play, but also just to show up every day knowing that it has to be better than the last day and, and we show up ready to go, we show up ready to work. A certain element of tenacity is, is needed uh, in today's world. Humility and tenacity. I like that. You've earned my respect, Nick Barron. I really appreciate uh, you spending time with us and sharing your story. Congrats on being part of the United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30. And Nick Barron, thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dean. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Nick. And thank all of our guests. On behalf of Michael Knipper, Sean Shevel, and all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches, I'm Dean Linky. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you same time, same channel next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap.